0: Hey, y'all, welcome back to the Rabbit Hole Show. This is episode 89, and yes. here with a new friend. i uh, met her mom over the last, I guess since March of 2023 at Charlotte Rescue Mission. She comes and volunteers with Miss Lori. He was on a previous episode, uh, but here with Erin, and we're at her office here in Charlotte, yes. PRN, which we're going to talk about. And also, she's going to share her story uh, with mental health and addiction. Um, and welcome. Thank you for yeah. just coming on.
1: Thank you for having me. This is my first time doing a podcast, so <laughs> I'm not going sh- to listen to it because I hate the way I talk. But <laughs> glad to be here.
0: Glad to have you. And yeah. we've been uh, <laughs> trying to get this for a little bit. Um, yes. Because you had a child four months ago.
1: Yeah, actually four months tomorrow. Four months yeah. tomorrow. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. So I know you're tired. I am tired, but you brought me coffee, so we're good. We're good. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, and I've driven by a lot and seen PRN, and then since working at Charlotte Rescue Mission, I've heard some of the guys talk about PRN, so I'm excited just to learn more yeah. about what you do and about PRN as um, a whole. Yes. And then also found out that the gala I'm going to, tomorrow night y'all are kind of like the incubator for the emerald school we are. which is a school here in charlotte um and it's just teens right yes. or is, yeah uh, struggling mm-hmm. with addiction but i'll let you talk more about that um but yeah just glad we were able to sit down um me too
1: i will say you were persistent so this is great i'm finally i'm we're here we're making it happen so yeah i'm very glad to be and here. we'll
0: shout out to your mom because yeah. she kept reminding me because i would mom. forget <laughs> busy with school and yeah. just and i knew you were pregnant and
1: oh, that's a lot yes it was a lot but she also yeah, yeah she stayed on our tail so she did shout so, out terry yeah and shout lori. out terry and lori miss <laughs> lori yeah
0: um and i love seeing them generally every weekend sometimes it's we we'll miss a week um yeah but the guys love having your mom I and Miss Lori and just Cody's crew there, Yeah. Um, especially game night. Yes, they love game I've, night.
1: I've heard, and the snacks or something, the bake. Oh yeah, baked the baked goods, goods or and uh, I all
0: about that. the uh, oh, the chocolate claire pie mm-hmm. we just had last bingo night. So
1: nice. I might. Well, I can't come, but somebody needs to make me that. Whoever Miss Lori it. makes okay, it. Okay, Lori.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> cool. So I'm going to let you just start and share your story and um, just have a conversation as always. Um, and I like to have these raw um, and nothing prepared because uh, yeah. everyone, whatever you're going to share is needed to be heard by someone. Yep. And we all have a story and struggles and we're not alone. Yeah. But we feel like we're alone we do. when we're in the midst of our dark days Absolutely. so you sharing your story will help someone that's in their dark day and thinks that they're alone or a family member that has someone struggling can have some hope knowing that their daughter or their son that's struggling there is hope for them Absolutely. to come out on the other side and yeah. there are resources like PRN. lots of
1: resources yeah for sure I think we miss out on knowing what all is out there for support and resources when we're in you know the height of our unwellness but um all right so i'm trying to think of where i want to start (laughs) i know and i always say that if my story reaches one person that's just the one person that needed to hear correct whatever because then that one
0: person could share it with two people and you know that is going to keep trickling yeah. to reach more than just that one individual yeah. but whether it helps one or a million you've at least saved one life and that's one life saved
1: okay I actually think I want to start a little bit about what I do because it really ties into my story you know what I do currently so shout out PRN um and that's I am, here on 7th street
0: yeah. and Charlottetown Avenue kind of
1: yes kind of near CPCC Boy well, Scouts. school. Yes. So um, we are a peer run agency, um, a nonprofit, and we support um, our peers on their journey to recovery from various things. So that can look like substance use, uh, mental health challenges, incarceration, domestic violence, houselessness. Um, the list goes on and on, but everybody here from our CEO down has lived experience with those things. Um, and we have a lot of different programs, but the program that I work in is our recovery court program. So Mecklenburg County has five uh, recovery courts, and um, we get to step into the courtroom and step into that part of our peers' journey um, and just kind of advocate and ally, for, th- be an advocate and an ally for them. Um, I work in first court, which is with mothers and fathers who have lost custody of their children because of DV, substance use mental health. Um, and that is my passion because a lot of my story and a lot of what I like to share about my story involves being a parent, being a mother. Um, and the darkest and lowest point of my life was, you know, walking away from being a parent and, um, in some some term i guess you could say abandoning my children making a choice that the lifestyle i was living the drugs i was using the relationships i was in was more important than them um and it's harsh it sounds really harsh but, it, but. i mean
0: that's the reality yeah As, and for someone who's never experienced mm-hmm. drug use and needing to get that next fix. I mean, it's a want, but at a certain time it becomes a need just to function. Absolutely. And so, while yes, you are choosing the drug over your child, you don't see it
1: that way. Right, yeah, and I also know that there's a lot of shame attached with that, and so when I share my story about being a parent in recovery, you know, I just, I want everybody to know that we, you know, I felt a lot of shame, I'm still working through that Um, because being a parent is such a blessing you know but I think being a parent in recovery and actually being able to experience that now it just means so much more to me um, just knowing where I started but um, yeah so that's what I do for work and that's a little bit my story so I I think my first time I experienced or I can remember experiencing mental health challenges because for me my substance use was a way of Of coping, Um, I was self medicating, Um, and I think
0: a lot of people, as we talked before, yeah. And I've said on the podcast for mental health goes hand in hand with not just addiction, but other struggles Mm -hmm. that people have. But generally, I'd say ninety nine percent. If you're in addiction, you're struggling with mental health. Absolutely, the drugs are a way of coping.
1: Yeah, and then I learned, you know, at a really young age. I think I was, let's see, the first time I remember. Self harming, and that was a form of actually, you know, cutting myself. um, Was when I was just about to turn 14. Um, And I didn't really understand why I was doing it then, but I needed a release. I felt too much, and I felt like I didn't have an outlet, I guess, or I was just in the thick of a pretty traumatic family situation, and I just needed to escape. And I found that to be the quickest and easiest way for me to go into that oblivion. So that's the first time I remember searching for that oblivion. Um, and yeah, it just kind of progressed from there in different ways of, of harming myself. Um, and throughout that process, you know, I just, I got further and further away from everything that ever really meant anything to me. Um, and yeah, I mean, the drug use started, I think, before I even got out of high school. I mean, I know before I got out of high school. Um, and so as soon as I found drugs and alcohol, that was, like, my golden ticket. I was good. I didn't, I don't think I really self-harmed again until, like, by cutting until 2018. Um, but, yeah, the drugs and alcohol was, that was all I needed. And so I fell very deep into um, just constantly seeking an escape from reality and the further I got away from the trauma The traumatic experiences that I had And more into the drug use The like more I, I couldn't even identify What I was doing anymore And I was just into the thick of it um,
0: Did you find now Self-harm mm-hmm. And then you said drugs later Yeah. Did you <clears throat> Find the drugs from peers at school Or kind of how did that happen Because I mean yeah. I, I dabbled with drugs in high school Yeah. Um, mine was just weed Um, I don't think I'd touch Coke until college. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have those older, um, peers or, you know.
1: So for me, it actually, um, gosh, it was some peers my age, but I, the first time I ever found substances was actually within my household. Um, so, and they were prescribed pills, you know. That my mom had or whatever um and that i just remember the first time i i took anything i liked it and i actually probably needed it at that point you know for something i had my tonsils taken out when i was 17 and so i had like syrup for the first time and i was okay cool then i figured out right and then i figured out that i could sell it and so that led me straight into the peers that i started doing the things with because
0: you knew, hey, they like to do what I like to do because yep. they're buying
1: Absolutely. this, so
0: therefore we have a bond and a friendship.
1: Yep. And then I figured out about, I don't know, out of water. Okay. <laughs> um. And then I figured out about just like various forms of opiates, benzos, all the things. Mm-hmm. Um. And just started experimenting. And I already knew I kind of liked, like I said before, the oblivion. You know. So I just kept searching for that. Um. And I was searching it into people too because people were. I distracted. it I could just go and completely I could be a whole different person and I liked it um, and I liked it because I also have bipolar and depression and anxiety I didn't know it at the time but it all just kind of played hand in hand and I was just medicating through all of those things but yeah so as soon as I started getting around the people it was over and then as soon as I turned 18 I started getting in trouble and it all just kind of went hand in hand for me um and by the time I was 18, my parents were were over me. So that's how rough so it when was. You, yeah, <laughs> so when you say
0: over you, were you kicked out? Because mm-hmm. I have people that have reached out to me. I have a child that is struggling with alcohol, whatever it may be. It's been this long. They've been using. What do I do? Mm. I mean, every situation is different.
1: It is, yeah.
0: But what I say is you can't enable them. You know, and I know that's hard. I don't have kids, so I can't be yeah. like kick him out of the house because I don't right. know, but I know that at some point that's what you need to do, practice that tough love. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't imagine kicking my kid out and knowing you might get that call. Yeah. Um, but I people have reached out and I've, you know, told them you need to cut off communication as hard as it is and when you do, as shitty as this is going to sound, expect that phone call. Oh, yeah. And I'm not saying that to, like, I'm giving it to you straight and mm-hmm. blunt because that's the reality of it is. how dangerous and scary this is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've shared, you know, definitely in earlier episodes, whenever I speak, I've shared, I wrote something um, titled Phone Calls from My Mom's Cell Phone Perspective. And it was of all the times, you know, she's gotten calls from jails, hospitals, Mm. but it was the last call that she would ever get. And it was to come identify my body. Mm. And that was two months before I overdosed and died. And And they got the call. But Mm. by God's grace, I woke up and I'm now here to share my story and have guests on like you. But that's the harsh reality. You Mm -hmm. have to cut off communication. You cannot enable them because as former addicts, we used to walk over people and get what we wanted easily. Oh,
1: I was trying to meet my needs. And it it's, a, you know, in the beginning, I want to say that I was trying to be like, I was trying to keep my family from it. Uh, looking back at it now, I'm like, eh, that was just like an excuse. Like, I don't know. It's, I, you know, my mom, I know she's going to listen to this. Love you, mom. So I started, you know, stealing. And um, I, you know, took my mom's wedding ring. I mean, my parents were divorced, you know a sapphire bracelet which i got her a new one in recovery shout out you know recovery (laughs) Um, but oh she just texted me hey mom so yeah i mean you know i had always i was i've been a spitfire since i was born you know so like i have a mouth and i you know told my parents i can't wait till i'm 18 get the fuck out of here you know um, I didn't realize that by the time I was 18, I was going to have a drug problem. But, you know, I. I mean, for <laughs> listeners, I could, you don't wake I up to be a one day
0: and be like, hey, <laughs> yeah. I want to go snort some meth, right. shoot up some hair, yeah. whatever. You don't. Had that's no not idea. everyone's goal in life. No. Not I don't think at all. that's anyone's goal in life. No.
1: And so, you know, my parents, when I say they were over me, I mean, it was, you know, I had younger brothers. Um, they had already gone through the trauma of my parents' divorce, you know, which was a lot for me. I was, you know, almost 14 at the time. So I was a little bit more aware, but it was a lot for them too. And so then there comes me, you know, just like wreaking more havoc. And, um, I think my mom just kind of got to the point where I don't, I don't think she wanted to see me leave by any means, but I just kind of gave them no choice. Um, she had to
0: protect the family, she, right? Yeah. I mean, and you she, have two younger brothers, you said, and yeah, she, that's her as a mother, she has to protect her other children too even if that is means protecting them from their older sister right that doesn't mean she didn't love you right because some people might think oh she didn't love her but that's far from it
1: it's it's like i love you but i'm just not me right now and so yeah looking back at it now i i understand it took me a long time to get that point and i'll share a little bit more about that when i start to get into like me being incarcerated and things like that but You know, my dad also had been out of the home for a while. And so while my mom was like, she has no point, no, no, like hard time putting those boundaries in place at that time, my dad was looking to make up for a lot of stuff. And so that was my ticket to whatever I really needed. And so that was, you know, a lot of, um, manipulative behavior, me just trying to get money and and resources and whatever I needed. And, um, it was really just bad. So I started getting arrested and my dad would bail me out. I got into a really bad relationship. Well, wasn't bad yet, but I got into a relationship with somebody that was, you know, very much justice involved and on parole and pr- or probation and all those things. And he was bailing him out too. And so it was like a cycle that just... So I was
0: enabling two people.
1: Right. And so, and I wanted to comment a little bit on the enabling because it's such like a, I don't know, it is, it's hard because every situation is different. Right. Sure. And like we, we... In some form and fashion, as a parent, I can say the tough love is necessary. In other ways, I do kind of see how a different approach can help. I mean, the safety is a problem, right? We have to be, we have to maintain safety in cool. the household. I get it, right? Obviously, I can't be draining people's bank accounts and think that's okay, <laughs> right? No. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's 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 difficult. I, I, I think it kind of has to do with how willing... The person that's struggling and the quote-unquote enabler like h- how they're willing to show up and be a part of this mm. i don't you, even know if i'm making sense because <laughs> you got to meet the person where they're at exactly right um yes
0: and what i think you're saying i might be way off but if that person is showing some signs of i want help right then yeah
1: right because we it, can understand you know the enable quote-unquote enabler can say i can see that maybe you know, this substance use and and maybe I don't, I haven't gone through it. And so I can see it's really hard, but I need you to make it's boundaries. It really just starts with boundaries because we can financially support somebody and know that it's, you know, being used in the right way, or we can let them into our home and know that, you know, there's some sort of like boundary in place and it can work out. Cause you
0: have to have boundaries in every relationship, not just those Mm -hmm. with addiction Mm -hmm. in a marriage, a friendship, between siblings parents there's got to be boundaries healthy boundaries in any relationship yep but especially in those relationships with a loved one that's struggling with addiction Mm
1: -hmm.
0: hey you can stay in my house but if you come back inebriated or high right i'm gonna have to kick you out and lock the door or whatever that may look like for you
1: And I will say I think I can say this now my parents knew that I was going through some stuff but they didn't really want to address just just how bad it was and I know that in in their defense that it was a lot and I they didn't want to see their you know only daughter that was you know on varsity soccer and had straight A's and was going to college they didn't want to really see that me for what I really was at that time and so they know, felt like they were doing the right thing, but, um, I just, I didn't have boundaries. And so I just took advantage of whatever I could, unfortunately. And, and that just kind of led more and more into, um, gosh, let me think, (laughs) you know, my, the relationship I was in with actually the father of my two oldest children, um, our lifestyle and what we were doing and, and how he was became very toxic and very addicting itself. Um, but it, became abusive also and so i found myself sleeping in abandoned homes and cuz i knew i couldn't go home and i was following him everywhere and anywhere you know and then he got shot and i was a part of that whole escapade and and then he went to prison and like i came home right so that 2 years that he was in prison i actually you know i had some like some stability i was actually able to be myself again i was actually able to um, have a job and like live at my mom's again and I was doing really well and I moved into a townhouse with two of my best friends and we were like waitressing and doing all this you know we were just being normal and I turned 21 and it was great and I had every intention of staying away from that relationship until he got out and I was there to get him out of prison and so I was on probation at the time so I couldn't even visit him while he was incarcerated and so like when I tell you it was a break it was like it was a break it was 100% God intervened cut off. Yeah, yeah. yeah so in in a it was a blessing, um, and my kids are a blessing too. But oh, hate that I had to. No, I understand. Continue it. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand.
0: <laughs> yeah. Children are a blessing, but sometimes you wish you could still have them without yeah. having them from that certain individual. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but going back to what you just said, or what we were talking about, because it may it popped in my head because um, I had therapy yesterday, um, just because I'm clean now and doing good doesn't mean i don't still go to recover i think Facts. everyone needs to go to recover even if yep. even if you have nothing to talk about go for a check-in right you know you don't need to go every week even every month I, like now i'm going it had been quite a while but now i'm gonna just go like every three months to mm-hmm. keep that check-in um I mean, there was times where I was going twice a week. Like, my life was that effed up, (laughs) where I needed to go. Yeah. I probably needed to be there every day, but...
1: When I first got a rehab or detox, I went to, like, five meetings a day in NA because I just, that was all I knew, and I needed it then, and then I slowly pulled myself out of it. So, yeah, I know what you're talking
0: about. Yeah, 100%, and um, I didn't ask my therapist yesterday. I was thinking about it on the way there, but we just got into conversation. It slipped my mind. But I mean, I used to go to therapy like high and he worked in prisons. And so, I mean, he had to have known, but I don't, you know, I wanted to ask him like, Hey, did you ever pick up? Cause he never called me out. And right. in my head, I'm like, he's the type who would have called me, but maybe, yeah. so I don't know. So I'm going to ask him at some point you if should. I remember, yeah. um, <laughs> you, should. you know, I wasn't geeked up, but I'd be <laughs> right. like, had just smoked a blunt. Right. And then I would, eye drops in the eyes yeah. spray myself and for sure um i mean i'm sure he knew 100 yeah. percent well
1: i mean you got to think like they the popular the population that they you know work for and, and do therapy for is folks like us in the thick of our you know shit so yeah <laughs> like he knew <laughs> oh he definitely did <laughs> yeah.
0: um and but what i was getting at is because i opened my wallet yesterday and saw my mom's credit card or debit card mm-hmm. in there mm-hmm. and I think, and I've had it for quite a while because I think she um, gave it to me to pay for a book or a class for school. She was like, Mm -hmm. I'll help you out, Um, which is amazing. But Mm -hmm. I still have her credit card from, I mean, like a month ago, maybe even a little longer. And I haven't touched it since that she said, you. and I just keep forgetting to give it back to her. But I was telling Dr. Dodd, who I see, I was like, I still have my mom's credit card and like. I haven't thought about using it. There's not been temptation. Mm-hmm. But just the old me, she would not have given me the credit card oh, no. to even pay for um, mm-hmm. a class. or I mean, I wouldn't have been in school, but you know yeah. what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. And I was like, just the fact that I have money in the bank now to where I can buy my own stuff. I'm not mm-hmm. having to make excuses as Mm -hmm. to why I need money.
1: Yep. And you had trust again. Like she trusts you enough Mm -hmm. to to let you, I'm sorry for interrupting you. No, no. It's, it's, it means something like we, I want folks to celebrate even the the people that I support. I tell them like, those are big wins. They're small things, but they're big wins. Like it's huge to know that we're in that place now where we're trusted. And, you know, same with my mom. There's been situations like that, you know, since I've been in recovery that, I'm like, oh wow, this would have never happened before. Or if it did happen, I would have been in another state. Cause that I did that once. Got arrested. Still don't remember any of it because I was on Xanax. I mean, it's just things that was just where my life was. And now it's just it's full circle, so it's cool. And it's nice
0: that life now we can sit here. Mm-hmm. We're having coffee. So we're on a little yep. upper, you know, coffee. <laughs> we got some espresso shots.
1: Yeah, because I have been up all night. <laughs>
0: but it's not Right. You know, the we're coke, the meth, the, uh, mm-hmm. and we're able to have somewhat of a peaceful life. Yeah. I mean, we have our struggles. You have a four-month-old sure. baby, yeah. lack of sleep, different, but yeah. it's a normal part of life, right. whereas the abnormal that we used to live in, right. in our jail, institutions, on the run, whatever you yep. name it, and we thought that was normal when
1: yeah. <laughs> it was not normal at all. <laughs> it wasn't. And like that little you know, break that I had was just so important towards my story too, because, you know, after going back to being so good, I started to find myself, you know, like seeking, um, the chaos. (laughs) So it was like, yeah, it was a great break. And I was able to really kind of like rebuild in a sense, but I was still not really accepting the, the trauma that I had already endured. And I had no idea what was to come. And so it was just like, When I started seeking more chaos, I should have known then that like, oh, something was not right, and I needed more help. But I was like, we, and so I mean,
0: chaos was fun. Yeah, and I saw it too. I mean, safe.
1: I was comfortable with chaos. I knew what to expect, and I knew how to how to interact in those environments and those settings. And so it was like, the piece was cool, but like this is boring.
0: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) because I'd be in neighborhoods that no one should go in, right? And I fit in there. Right. I knew how to act. Yep. I'm a white middle-class right. <laughs> male, and yeah. I'm in a neighborhood where a lot of white males would get shot and yeah, killed and for sure. left in a body well, we bag. We would just
1: get looked at differently because yeah. we're not the popular. Like, it's just, yeah. But,
0: but when I went in there, they knew who I was. and Right.
1: And they respected me, which I was like, okay, cool. I felt, that felt and good, some too. Of them, and some of them feared
0: me, even. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. Which
0: I really liked. Yeah. Because I wanted males guys Mm -hmm. to fear me and i wanted girls to love me yeah because i didn't love myself so if i knew a girl loved me Mm -hmm. it was good because i was so codependent me too and i I wanted guys to fear me because i didn't love myself yeah and if i could instill fear in you that had was a power, win. Had control, I had power, had control, like all and I that talked about this in totally. therapy yesterday. Yep. I mean, we've talked about it before, but yeah. we just revisited it because he was like, how's your anger? And I yeah. was like, I mean, I don't really have anger anymore. Lucky. Unless if I'm on the road sometimes, you know. <laughs> sometimes,
1: I'm always angry. Someone will <laughs>
0: flick me off or something and then I'll want to rev that engine and go follow them. But then I just say a quick prayer mm-hmm. and I'm like, but I used to follow people home
1: and st- like it was yeah. bad. So, yeah. And then. So we'll talk about codependency. Great. Cause that's exactly where I'm heading with my story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. Good. Cause
0: I've talked about that <laughs> with my story.
1: Um, so yeah, he gets out of prison. Um, and you know, it, he was doing really well. I I was doing really well. So it was great. What do we have to worry about? Right. And we like very quickly, let's see, he got out, I think in, it was May or June. Um, and then by September, I was pregnant with my first son, Michael. And But we were happy, and it was good, and I had my family's support. Because, like, you know, in his defense, he had spent those two years also in prison, but he was able to kind of, what we thought, address some of the things that he needed Because there's to a lot of classes and there are. programs
0: in yeah, prison. Yeah, you have a
1: lot of time to, like, he, you know, had his faith again and was, like, reading the Bible, and he was, you know, connecting, and he was just able to actually... I like address some things that you can't address when you're out living life, like on the you're streets, just, yeah. right? Looking so,
0: in in the chaos,
1: exactly. So yeah, we're pregnant with Michael. Um, I got engaged. He bought me a beautiful. He was working. I had a I don't know four thousand dollar engagement ring, and my family gave him approval. Everything was really great, and then you know, unfortunately, I don't know how to word this, but uh, was, a narcissist can't sustain can't be consistent for long and so it wasn't long before you know we were living in another house and Michael was an infant and he was gone you know that was the first thing he would just be gone and so I was like oh cool like I'm in the thick of postpartum just had a baby like trying to live this like a good life and he was you know in another state visiting his ex-girlfriends and Mm. um doing whatever and like not feeling like it owed any explanation to me and I was like okay, I waited for you for two years. This is what I get. Well, then I started standing up for myself because I'm, like I said, I'm a spitfire. Well, then I just started getting emotional abuse and then it turned into physical abuse. And so that spiraled. Um, and it's really hard, you know, trauma does something to our brains. And so while I know some of the details of like what happened over the next couple of years, a lot of it is like really, just kind of all over the place. And yeah. even still to this day, there's things that I remember. And, you know, it's funny, like smells or places. I'll be like, wow. And it'll unlock something. Well, I've, I've, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. It's Yeah. And it's just, it's wild, but it's beautiful, too, because it's part of the healing journey. But anyways, and yeah. And it's when you
0: least expect it, too.
1: Right. Oh, gosh. And I'm like, Ugh, And I try not to let it throw me off for the day. But, mm. Yeah. So... I got evicted for the first time. My mom helped out. My family was still trying to help out because they still thought both of us were doing really well.
0: So they didn't know what that he was on the run, different, or not on the run,
1: excuse, but in different states. So they knew, but it was like, oh, we're new parents, and I don't know. That's that's part of, like, what I don't really remember. Yeah, My yeah. mom was definitely like, get the hell out of this relationship, right? But and I, I did not. Him. I'm saying that, right? too. Right, but I did not, like... I was 21 years old. You're I young. had a baby. St- I was engaged. Like I wanted that life. I wanted that family really bad. And at that time, I really wanted it with that person. So I just started. Of course, also I couldn't be alone. Hello, codependency. I needed him. There yeah, was no. You would Aaron, rather like, live <laughs> in hell, absolute hell, than be alone, right? And, and I get that
0: because that's.
1: Yeah, and that's what I did. I lived in absolute and hell. And then <laughs> a lot
0: of times. If you're not communicating, you would rather fight, absolutely, than have no communication because you're at least right communicating, even mm-hmm. though it's yeah. hell and yeah, to- very very toxic.
1: But I was, you know, also getting physically abused like regularly, so it was becoming more of like I had no friends anymore, I had no resources anymore. My family was like they could not understand why I couldn't just leave him, and I just really. I, I didn't know how to cope with any of it. And I felt very small and a very, like, awful they instill life. fear in you. Right. A narcissistic. Mm-hmm. And I lost. To where
0: you're like, yeah. even if I walk out this door and he doesn't know right now, mm-hmm. he will find me and, and kill me. Or whatever the.
1: Yeah. And he, he did. That was exactly how the mentality was. is Because he wanted to control me. And so there were little times where I would get away and I would like, you know, I had like, I don't know, a thousand houses, starter homes. Right. And so I would like leave one place and go somewhere else and get back on my feet. And then I would let him back in. And then I got pregnant with Kason, um, my second son. And um, I found out I was pregnant with Kacen while Cody was in jail for the first time. I actually finally called the police and I finally pressed charges on him. Um, again, what was that like? A
0: oh, rabbit hole. I mean, that's the name of the yeah. show, but you brought so, it up and I know listeners yeah. probably want to.
1: Pro- I mean, the process, right, is pretty... Uh, I don't know. It's scary. It's, it's hard to navigate by yourself. I'll say that. So, and also it's like, you know, I literally had to jump out of a window onto a porch. I was living in a garage home in Gastonia and I would, I had to like escape from the situation. I had to leave Michael. He was a toddler in the house and ran to the neighbor's house to get a phone because that's how little bit of, like I had no access to anything. He would, you know, put me in those situations. And so, um, it felt really good though, because I was like this, I felt like, okay, maybe I can, you know, do this. I felt exhilarating, um, exhilarated, but yeah, finding out I was pregnant with him with case. And while he was in jail was like, oh, fuck, like, here we go again. You know, I just, how far can I really go again? Not really ever seeking out therapy or support around what I was experiencing. So everybody knew that it, it was like that. I had a. I, Protection order, whatever. Um, but I would never go to the second court date, so they would be for a week, but they wouldn't be for a year. And so I was like, I felt guilty. I wanted my son Michael to know his dad, because to him, you know, it was the world, right? But I just, again, he wasn't
0: seeing what daddy was doing right, to mom.
1: Yeah, he he was too young to understand. And so, oh, let's see. Yeah, finding out I was pregnant with Kason, I got him arrested and then I moved again, started over. I've started over so many fucking times, I should have an award <laughs> cuz I can start over really well. <laughs> so I get he goes to to jail. I move back into my mom's. Shout out mom. Um and I had kids now too, so it was like whatever. Still hadn't really picked up using drugs yet, but was just so addicted to the chaos. Anyways, get into a new place, get a new job. um, And the unwellness of their dad just really started to like spiral and to the point where like he was stalking me and he was telling me he was going to commit suicide and just trying any measure that he could to get me to like. Because get once back in. a
0: narcissist starts or feels like they're losing control. They go to the extreme. Yep. Yes. And I've seen it. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: Yep.
0: Um, not in a relationship I've been in, or, um, but I've seen it. And yeah, yeah you know. And then the way they word things, it's like, is that a threat? Are you right. saying you're going to commit suicide, or right. are you going to come kill me? Right. Like, or is
1: this really my fault that you're like this? Because that's that's what I struggled with. Like I started to believe all the things that he would say about me. And so it was like, I I mean, I just, it was just uh, like a cycle. It was so, it was a rabbit hole. Literally, I was really like just. And
0: and you're never getting rest. Even like if you were asleep at night, you're probably in a very shallow sleep because of not knowing, is he going to break into this house? Right. Like, so you're literally always 24-7 in fear.
1: And so then I started... I was pregnant, getting ready to have the baby. My mom, you know, I decided he wasn't going to be in the room and, and whatever. My mom was there. And then, you know, I thought maybe I would do the right thing by letting him at least come to the hospital. And that was a mistake.
0: So. He showed his ass, I bet. Well,
1: no, he but didn't no. show his ass then. But I just, that that little bit of a doorway let him back in.
0: To your life.
1: And so when we got out of the hospital, he wanted to stay. Well, no, you're not staying, sir. Like you can go back to wherever the fuck you've been for the last nine months. Because I don't. I wanted you to meet your child, but and, and I thought I was doing the right thing. I really did. I wanted. I mean, it to, shows you
0: have a good heart. Yeah, I guess. Like I will say that. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, and you know, I don't know. I I I want to think that it was the right thing at the time, but after I asked him to go, it just got worse and worse and worse. And I was feeling really good, and then the the second most traumatic thing in my life happened um in April so Kaysen was born in February in April of that same year of 2016 um where he did actually break into my house in the middle of the night and I woke up at like one o'clock in the morning and I made my son a bottle and was gave it to Kaysen fell back asleep and then what felt like five seconds later i woke up and he was on top of me and he had come he had rode a moped scooter all the way from south carolina um to my house and, and came and into in a back yeah at this time i was in mount holly okay but yeah. it's okay even further so far, away from south yeah. carolina um and you know before i had woken up um he had taken my i had a house phone still <laughs> House phone, landline. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Uh, but he had taken my keys, my house phone, and my cell phone, and so false imprisonment and kidnapping. Absolutely. And so that night was the like, the worst night of. Well, I don't want to say the worst. It was, it was awful.
0: How long did that last? I'm sure it felt like eternity since you were being held against your will. But
1: yeah, the time by the time he left, it was like eight or nine in the morning because I was supposed to work the next morning, Um, and my girlfriend who lived nearby was coming over to watch the kids for me, and so she. Um, I guess texted me. I can't remember exactly. It's like all so foggy. Yeah. But she, you know, he found out that she was near, and he like, I, I, don't, I think I texted. I don't know. I tried to escape multiple times a night, and he just always. There was n- no way. At one point, I was, you know, sitting in the in the kitchen, and um, like he would, he would like hit me. He would punch me in the face, and then he'd be like, getting a bag of frozen vegetables out of the freezer and putting them on my head. So he was like coddling me and like trying to help me but he was like physically causing the yeah and it was like so just at one point he held me up against the wall and he was I was like I, I guess I was praying out loud or something I was talking about God or I was like saying and he just I'll never forget the look in his eyes when he just looked at me and he said there's no God in this house and I was like the most like fearful I've ever been in my entire life and it to this day, like it's still just, it makes me feel so like, but, um, all while the kids were there and they were little. And so it was like, you know, he would wait, they would wake up or they would get restless in their sleep. And Mm -hmm. I lived in a duplex and I was like praying that maybe they would hear something or whatever, but he ended up leaving. And, um, my friend had the cops come. And so then he was on the run from these charges, right. For about a month or two. Um, and yeah, so, Whew. Um, again, though, I never really, I didn't. I you know they wanted me to go to Safe Alliance and get domestic violence counseling, and I was like, no, I'm fine. Like he's gone. Like whatever. Um, and yeah, it was just brutal. And that was when my drug use came back.
0: Did you? So he finally sounds like they called him eventually. They
1: did. I had to set him up, and it was awful. But did
0: you um, follow through on those charges, or did you like? I did. I went to court.
1: I went to court, um, and I, he sat up on the stand and he said that it was a lie and that I, all the bruises, like had pictures of me up and, you know, they were like, okay, my attorney came back and she said, they want to take it to trial. Like, we're going to have to go, you're going to have to get on the stand and testify against him. And I was like, okay, fine. And I was like, this is what, you know, I was like, I felt really confident. Um, and I guess maybe in his mind, he thought, that you know the threat of going to trial would make me like
0: Drop scared ball, or, yeah. yeah again control and
1: so my attorney came and told his attorney yeah like we're going to do this and i remember sitting back there in the in the little room and i could see into the courtroom but i was waiting and waiting like when are they going to bring him back out of custody and then i guess his attorney and him talked and he told his attorney i'm not going to get up i'm not going to do it i'll so plead so he wanted to plead so to he pleaded to i don't i can't remember exactly what he pled to but um at that point, I was just like exhausted. I was like, okay, cool. At least now he's gonna be accountable, yeah. right? And I can like maybe put this behind me. Um, and he did some time, and he was supposed to do like classes. He never did, but, um, yeah, that that situation finally came to a little bit of a close, somewhat. <laughs>
0: so. I mean, that's a lot to unpack. Yeah, and I'm sure it you're is. still unpacking parts I, of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I am. I, I have boundaries now. I know how to put boundaries up. I mean, I let the boys have um, what little bit of relationship they can with him, but I know what, like, I have I have very, very set stuff. You have to be rigid. Absolutely. And you can call me because his favorite thing to do now is say, like, oh, are you on drugs again? You know, because he's just trying to pull anything He's trying you to get
0: you. He's trying to yeah. set you off and get you to react. Absolutely. The and best thing to do is just... just keep it about the boys. Yep,
1: exactly. And that's exactly what I try to do. And, you know, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I hope, you know, that he can get help and he can get his life together because he hasn't been able to still. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't have a place to live. He's all over the place. My hope is that he can find that, you know, I don't want anybody to suffer. Even this person that, you know, traumatized me and put me through hell. I still want him to get Get the help that he can get and get to a better place.
0: Because drugs, addiction, mental health will make it's you real. become yeah. someone you're not. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, I want everyone to be happy and enjoy life. Right. We all deserve a second chance. Yeah. Sometimes third, fourth, yes. fifth, a hundred chances. Right. <laughs> so but at some things. point, you got like you said, you got to have those boundaries. Yeah. And you know there's different types of boundaries but yeah. rigid boundaries are needed yeah. but you, that doesn't mean you don't want the best for that right. individual Yeah,
1: because I mean he, he's I don't know I don't want my kids to have to know that their dad was able to get their life to get his life together yeah. that's my hope is it going to happen probably not and okay but I think that for me the closure that I needed was just accepting that I'm only responsible for for my healing and I cannot fix him and I don't You know, I don't have to to give in. I can hold my boundaries and I can wish the best for him. But I have peace. I forgive him. Um, It took me a long time to get to forgiveness. It took me, like, um, getting in recovery to forgive me. I'm sure to, yeah. (laughs) Um, But I was angry from that moment on because I had been pushed into a corner for so long. And so when I came back out of that situation, I came with, like, vengeance.
0: In my head, I was like, she came with
1: a vengeance. And I was a, like... I was the abuser, so I don't know how much time we have, but I can no, get, yeah. so the, I don't think people understand, like, so yeah, it's easy for us to say, oh, the men are like so abusive or whatever too, but you know, I can speak for myself and say that I, I became, I had, I don't, I don't know if I really knew it, but I was angry and I wanted to be in power and I, when I got into other relationships, I, I. Cause you have felt so
0: belittled for so long yes. that you didn't know what it was was like to have that healthy relationship and And you knew you did not want to feel belittled again i would assume so you knew you needed to be in control
1: i knew one damn thing for sure was that no motherfucker was ever gonna put their hands on me again without like being close to to death or to have some sort of like severe reaction even if it was me so i and i stood true to that but I didn't realize how, like, toxic anger is. And so it was just, like, seeping throughout me. And, like I said, I started using drugs again. Um, I was a single parent. Like, I had two kids. and, And I was angry at one point at my kids because I was, like, I felt, every time I looked at them, I would see their dad or I would like have this. And it's such a weird place to be in. I mean, I can talk about that and I feel like it needs to be talked about more, but that's, that's some of the stuff that we go through as women at at coming out of domestic violence. Like Mm -hmm. it can turn into that. Um, But yeah, so I started using drugs and I started just doing whatever I could and, and everything just went down with it. And that was when I started using like, I mean, the first time I ever tried meth, I was 18, but at this point I was like, you know, I was probably 24, 25. So yeah, I started using like a lot of meth. I started using opiates. I started, you know, experimenting with different ways to use them. I started, um, just getting into like still codependent, but wanted to be in control. It was so crazy, but <laughs> I would like mm-hmm. get into a relationship and it was just so toxic, but I was the, the one with the power aggressor. now. Yeah, so yeah. I was the aggressor. So I started getting arrested and it was like, assault assault and battery like assault with a deadly weapon like all of these things and it was just like constant over and over and over again and i just i didn't care you know but i was just pissed off you just knew no one was gonna hurt you yeah and i wanted that like you talked about earlier i wanted the respect and i wanted i liked how i was intimidating to people i mean whatever. It's sick (laughs) to think about it now. Like whatever. I can still handle business. Okay. But I don't have to live like in anger anymore because I was able to address my anger, but I had to get to some really low places Mm -hmm. even after that situation with him to know that I was angry and I needed help with it. Um, but yeah, so my drug use just got out of control and I just, you know, I took my kids, um, to actually his parents, his mom, and I never went back and got them. And I just walked away from it.
0: Did you know going there that you weren't mm-hmm. going to come back? Yeah.
1: And in my mind, I told myself that um, I was doing the right thing, and because I wasn't able to feed them, I wasn't able to.
0: Because you had, you had a fix you needed, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: as I think I said this at the beginning, for someone who's it never took
1: precedent over yeah. everything, and that,
0: yeah, and that, but that's not you needed that to yeah. survive. It wasn't yeah. a want at that point. Yeah i think i said people won't understand if they haven't used or been in addiction it becomes a point where it It starts as
1: like we use it for the first time as a choice but then to we maintain it because we have to because we need to and so it's like the fear of withdrawal or the fear of being sober you know i was like oh no you know because having to to face reality right i have to be still and i'd have to like you know i have to stop running but i mean i was running And I was going after it. Um, We talked about, like, my parents, you know, as soon as the, as soon as the kids weren't with me anymore, they were like, I think they held on because they wanted, they felt like if they were helping me, they were helping the kids, right? But once the kids weren't there, they were able to actually put up some serious boundaries with me. Um, And I have something in my eye. (laughs) But yeah, so I was like in jail and, you know, they would stop answering the phone. They weren't going to get me out. Um, Things like that happened. and. Um, it wasn't until, you know, I finally just said, okay, I want help. You know, I want to go to take me to treatment. You know, my mom was like, okay, like call me when you're ready. And I was ready one day and I went and I mean, it sounds like so quick, right? But there's a lot that led up to it, I think, but there wasn't one rock bottom for me. It was just a lot of stuff. Oh my mm-hmm. God, I've <laughs> so, my eye, ugh. Um, but yeah, I got to that point where I just was like, I cannot, I had like a choice. It was either, you know, I was going to let the drugs kill me or I was going to stop using them. And be a mother and, and yeah, enjoy life. Yeah, at that point I had no desire to even like address, I don't, don't want to say desire, but I was not even, it wasn't for my kids. Like I tell people Correct. this all the time. Like I, I did not stop using drugs for my kids. I wish so badly that I could say that was the... At that point, I just wanted to live, and but I didn't. But you got to do
0: it for yourself, right? And doing it for yourself then allows, then allows you to do to, it for yes, the kids, yeah, because mm-hmm. you can't do it for your kids. Because if yep. you do it for your kids, it might not be every case, but at some point, you might resent your kids.
1: Absolutely, that's a real thing, and I think I did it. I knew I wanted to. I wanted to live. I didn't want to die. I was too close to death too many times, um, and the drugs I was using were going to kill me. One day, regardless. Like, I don't know. I don't, I really don't think I would be alive if I wouldn't have stopped when I did because it was just. I mean, there's fentanyl in everything now. So you definitely would not have been here. When I was using, there wasn't fentanyl, wasn't like a thing like it is now. I mean, hair, you could still find heroin. You can't find heroin anymore. People are using it's fentanyl.
0: People are shooting (laughs) up straight fentanyl.
1: Absolutely. Yep.
0: I mean, I've talked with someone and they shot up a gram of fentanyl. I know. Yep. Yeah, but like even a little sand speck can kill mm-hmm. an individual. Yeah, but your tolerance grows. Absolutely. And this individual shot up a gram of fentanyl. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I know. For I non-drug users, I mean, that could kill. I don't know. Right. I'm, there was a, an arrest. I think it was Cherryville or a couple of weeks ago. They found 98 grams of fentanyl mm-hmm. that could kill 45 to 60 thousand people. Yeah. So, and this individual shot up a gram of fentanyl and mm-hmm. didn't... I mean, they, they OD, but they didn't die. Right. They woke up in the woods, came to by themselves.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's definitely, like, different. The drug the drug game in general you don't, excuse me. You don't know evolved, what you're getting. But I mean, you just don't. You even, really don't even know. Even weed
0: is laced with fentanyl. Mm-hmm. You got 12-year-olds smoking a little joint for the first time oh, and God. dying. I know. It's I sad.
1: Know. Yeah, so... I think about that with my kids all the time. I'm like, "Ugh, but thank God that I've been through what I've been through so I can talk, like I can have those conversations with them because they're I think they're important." I wish you know that my parents would have had a really raw and honest conversation with me and not swept some stuff under the rug. Like, you know, I don't I don't want to say that would have made the difference, right? Like it's not their fault by any means, but you know, it would have it would have been impactful in some some sense, Correct. but I don't remember where I was talking. I mean, just about like before. mental
0: health, even like <laughs> yeah. our parents didn't talk about mental health, but that's because mental health wasn't really oh, God, talked about no. much. And just like drugs in the seventies, eighties mm. were pure. Yep. Not saying it was right to do them, but they. were but it was. Different, it yeah. was different than now, so mm-hmm. I can understand why they those talks weren't really had. Yeah. Just like mental health wasn't really talked about. And, yep. So and, then, and there'll be something with our kids. That we won't talk about that we should have, that right. they'll be struggling with, but it's yeah. something we either, it's normal right now, yeah. or we just never dealt with that.
1: We do the best we can with what we have. My parents were doing the best that they could with what they have. There's no and manual. And it's like, yeah, we, they, you know, I don't, I don't have any ill feelings at all. You know, it took me getting to recovery to understand why my parents were the way that they were. And I actually said thank you for that. Um, you know, all of it, to me, I tell my mom this, like m- my mom continuing to answer the phone and to, I mean, even sending me money for food, like when I was literally homeless and, mm-hmm. and not able to even like put food in my body, you know, she, she said, saying no, but if she would have kept doing it, like she was interfering with God's plan for me. God, God had a very clear direction about where I was going and when my stopping and breaking point was going to be. And every time somebody interfered with that, it was just prolonging getting to like that rock his yeah, his, his plan and his exactly. desire and his decision or, or or whatever for my life. And so I told my mom, thank you for that. Thank you for not answering the phone. I mean, even though I did get out of jail that last time, my you know, my my dealer came and got me out or whatever and I kept using I had moments where I knew I was ready to stop, but that moment when I actually did, my mom was the first person that I called. And I went and I did it and I worked my ass off. yeah it doesn't happen overnight no it doesn't and it was scary I think the way that I explain it to folks now is like I was on this like a merry-go-round like on the playground where your kids right get really fucking fast and it was yeah. like so fun in the beginning so like me and they're like oh shit okay this is like really fast and it's like how the fuck am I gonna get off and you have no like, at that point you're spinning and you can't see what's going on mm-hmm. outside of you you have no idea what you're gonna land on if you're gonna land whatever that's how like my unwellness was to me and so taking that jump was the like the hardest thing I've ever done and I didn't know what was going to happen, but I just took a chance and I just jumped and I landed and it was like really rocky for a long time. i sure. And I drove all the way from my mom's house in Belmont to my dealer's front door in Monroe and I so didn't get out of the hike. car, but you know, it's like, I, I told myself I can't do this. I'm going to go. And then I sat there and I was like, no, like I, I think I had like a weeks at that point. And I'm like, no, I can do more weeks. And I just kept trying. And eventually it just kind of like, you know, became routine for me to be sober and I started like working again and I started addressing some things that I needed to address and I started rebuilding the, the bridge with my kids you know and I'm still doing that um don't let anybody tell you that as soon as you stop using drugs it's all gonna be okay because it's not <laughs> it's uh-uh. not <laughs> um it's gonna be really really scary and it's gonna be like up and down but it's possible I'm in the best place today that i i could be to address the things that are going wrong in my life so it's like a year ago i couldn't handle things today like i could it's just like you you just you have a perspective change and everything just kind of starts making sense and so i get to do this work that i do um professionally and use my story you know there's even some that i didn't share today but it's like those are the parts that that mean a lot I don't want to say a lot they just they they're important to me yeah. now and it's am, your story so and it's my truth
0: um <laughs> and you've overcome a lot yeah and mm-hmm. just like we have similar stories it's still very different right cuz like as you said you like I didn't have one rock bottom no. I had a lot of different points and like for me you know some people would I mean they would look at both our stories and been like well that should have been rock bottom that should have right. been but it wasn't like, for ooh. us and For me, you know, I had to be found on a sidewalk and wake up off life support for that to be like, oh shit, okay, maybe uh, I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. Because I said that would never happen to me. Right. And it did.
1: Yeah, I said I would never inject drugs, you know, and I'd never pick up a needle. God, the people that use needles to to do their drugs, I was like, oh, like, oh my God, they must be really fucked up. Well, surprise, there I am. Bang You know, like using toilet bowl water and... it's disgusting. The stuff
0: looking back that's like, was I really that individual?
1: Right. Yeah. I was, was
0: talking <laughs> last night with someone. And I was like, I just can't believe the person that I was. Yeah. Like, I don't know who he was. Right. Yeah.
1: And then something else, like, I think is really important when we talk about breaking the stigma and the shame and all the things that come along with, like, the shit, right, is that, oh, my God, no, that did not just leave my brain that quickly. This happens to me all the time. <laughs>
0: Big. we lost Wow, it. okay, but it's, it's going to come back.
1: <laughs> yeah, it'll come back, but oh, uh, yeah. what was I going to say? What did you say right before?
0: Like, we have different stories. Um, yeah. Like, you had a lot of different... Um, you were talking about the needle. That yeah. was never going to be you. The sti- Breaking the stigma.
1: I don't know. We That's lost. crazy. Anyways, it must not have been important. It must, yeah, it must not <laughs> have been. Um, yeah, but... But,
0: yeah, I mean, and it takes... A village Mm -hmm. um, because there's a lot of people that come through the doors that I see at Charlotte Rescue Mission I'm sure you see Mm -hmm. here they don't have the support that we had Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean our journey is less important or more important both journeys are the same Mm -hmm. but when you have that support it makes it a little easier
1: I just remembered what I was going to say So, another thing that we don't talk about enough is, like, the mourning process of being in recovery. So, even though, like, the life I was living or who I was in the worst of my my time, it was, like, just absolutely unbearable. I missed her. I had to mourn the loss of her. And I had to, like, go through that grieving process because it was what I was – it was me. It's a part of who I was. And, like, I used to feel so embarrassed and, like, shameful to say that I missed – or, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I thought I was going to go back to who I was before. And none of that. It's it's just healing and recovery is not the same for everybody. Correct. But there is, like, a point where I think we can all say, like, we have to really work through. We don't want to do that anymore. But it was kind of cool. Or it was, you know, it meant something. Or I don't know. Because your
0: brain is wired a certain way. Yeah. Prior to drugs.
1: Right.
0: And then you begin to use drugs and you do it for so long that your brain is wired differently now. So you're never going to be that same individual that you were prior. Yeah. You're going to be a different individual. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that you're going to be that beautiful, have that impact. Right. In recovery. Because you will and you can. Absolutely. But your brain's wired differently now because of. The drug use
1: yeah and so like i had to work through that too because i still wanted to self-sabotage i still wanted the chaos in some forms and i had to really like put that that feeling of like seeking to rest like i had to learn to be good where i was and to appreciate the parts of my journey and and where they led me to and even though it wasn't always fun it was part of you know why I am the way I am now Mm -hmm. and it all means something it all comes full circle and just like sharing your story that one person that needs to hear it if it reaches the one I'm cool fine that's all I can I can say I did you know it means something what I've gone through means something my story
0: wasn't a waste right and I'm still here and I have purpose and part of your purpose is to use your story to help that one individual or it might be that million but at least that one individual yeah Um, so as we wrap up I always ask guests What advice do you have and you've given a lot of advice but you know what advice maybe a couple um for a woman or even a male a man Mm -hmm. dealing with um a partner um a spouse um in that you know abusive relationship that has that narcissistic uh partner and then um so advice for that because i know someone listening is going to be dealing with that and then Just advice that you have um, Mm. that listeners can take away, whether it's um, getting out of addiction, whatever. But something that just helps you day in day out that you either learned from your mom, from rehab, whatever it may be. But just those two things, I'd say, as we close. Mm.
1: Gosh, the DV part is so it's so like complicated. You know, sometimes it's or maybe words of wisdom. Yeah, like you're worth it, right? Like you're you are enough. I know that that's so cliche, but sometimes we just need... mm, Actually, I'm going to say this. For all of the things, just give yourself grace. Grace, we as people can give other people grace. I mean, there's no right or wrong way to do anything. And that, you know, if we can just... Show a little bit more acceptance, a little bit more like love, radical love, loving accountability all those things like they matter. Don't be afraid to have conversations with people. If you see somebody that's like using substances or they're experiencing homelessness, like we don't need to be afraid. Like we all go through stuff, and sometimes just saying, Hey, like, how are you? or Damn, it's a nice day, you know, just like that one little tiny thing can make such a difference. Cause we break down the shame and we break down the stigma when we're not afraid to like approach and be a part of that vulnerable community. Um, I don't know if that was really a good answer, but like. No, it is like, because you, people walk
0: by and like, oh, that's the yeah, scum of the earth. They're right. sleeping in a sleeping bag under the it bridge. Could like, it could be you any
1: day. Like could be I know people that,
0: some people don't know their stories, but I know that individual was under a bridge with a needle in their arm right. and people mm-hmm. don't know that about them yeah. or, but they're highly respected, but mm-hmm. they right. were under a bridge with they, a needle in their arm at one we've point. We've all
1: been through shit. And like, just because we don't look like what we've been through doesn't mean it didn't happen. Like I tell people all the time. Yeah. I used to be an IV drug user and they're like, no, you weren't. Yeah, I, I was like, I really, because was. you don't fit the, what? I don't qu- fit the quote unquote right. stigma. So we're not, we're not really doing anything by saying one popular like that. A drug user has to look like that or a homeless person has to look like that. I mean we're just it's a there's it's CEOs everywhere. of big
0: companies that fall absolutely um hard times and end up homeless and yeah. It there's no um um prejudice yeah. or um you know, mental health addiction can hit every any zip code, any race, yep. any bank account yep. type of individual. Yeah. From the poorest of poor to the wealthiest mm-hmm. of wealthiest. Yeah. It doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I just think that the way we show up for people, you know, we, I I shared a thing on Facebook, actually, it just came to my mind. So I'm going to read it. It's a quote. And it just really like hit me in, in so many different places and ways and ugh, all the feels. But it said, in my darkest days, I couldn't reach out. So let's stop telling people to reach out and start to reach in. And like that way, we're, mm. we're not like, you know, Let's That's reach powerful. In. Like I couldn't reach out sometimes and like even if you know people knew I was going through stuff and didn't want to talk about it, whatever. Either way, I was in such a dark place that I I didn't know how to reach out. And there were people along my journey that were able to reach in and those are the the things that led me to where I am today and they really helped the whole, whole process. So oh, 100%. That's a good in. quote. <laughs> Thanks. Um
0: last thing, yeah. uh, you talked about PRN your work at oh, the beginning. Yeah. Uh, For listeners, what is PRN kind of as a whole a little bit and just the resources Mm -hmm. that PRN Mm -hmm. has um, for individuals listening that either need help, know someone that needs help or even want to, you know, you said nonprofit, you know, you know, donate help in some way. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. So we are the disneyland of like resources or, or the disneyland of, of providers is what uh one of my coworkers always says is because we have so many different programs whether it's employment basic needs recovery classes recovery groups um, one-on-one support are just the the space to just come here and be whoever you are wherever the fuck you are in your journey like there's no right or wrong way um, everybody's accepted and welcome here and we just want to Meet people where they are. Show them radical love. Show them loving accountability. Um, yeah, I mean, oh, there's so many things I'm missing. Hope no one from Pure and listens to this, but um, they will. Yeah, so we're our recovery hub is open from eight thirty to three on um, Monday through Friday, and that it is a drop-in center, so folks can just come and they can participate in our groups and participate in our classes. They can so
0: Joe Schmoe off the street mm-hmm. can come in
1: and he can literally say his name is joe schmoe we don't
0: even care what so there's it's not a outpatient inpatient Mm -mm. it's so it
1: is a drop-in so someone out there
0: maybe and you said it's a hub for anything so it doesn't have to be addiction no 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 yeah
1: for sure we were founded through mental health our ceo um 16 17 years ago came into this county um and realized that there wasn't something like this for people who are identified with mental health and so we started there and we know that all of it runs together so it's Correct. like but yeah so anybody whatever you're going through there's somebody here that's probably been through something similar and we just want to we just want you to be you and and just be here with and us and it's
0: um free it's free it's on 7th street kind yep. of near charlottetown near the yeah what's that uh football stadium um Behind CP, yes. we'll say yeah. It's fourteen
1: oh one East Seventh Street in Charlotte. Yeah. Um,
0: and so they can drop in. Uh, mm-hmm. What's y'all's website for people to it's, check out? It's uh,
1: PromiseResourceNetwork dot org, and so yeah, they can check us out. We have a peer run respite, which is a um, an a- alternative to hospitalization for people who are experiencing a mental health crisis. It's a um, unlocked um, therapeutic environment where folks can. Um, yeah just stay for up to 10 days um, receive peer support it's very self-driven we don't regulate medication all the things please definitely check that out um it's but very new they do need new. to call
0: and kind of go through yes, a little bit of a, a call process yes, there's a
1: process it's not, we're not a neither our hub nor our respite is a crisis center um and we don't let people call for people so if you're you know, attorney or your counselor or your act team or whatever it is says, Oh, I'll call it. No, we want the person to take the, initiative. to have the voice and the choice Correct. to be a part of their services, whatever it looks like. Um, so yeah.
0: So there's a lot of different ways so people stuff. can get plugged in, get the mm-hmm. help they need yeah. for mental health addiction, whatever it whatever may be. It is. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Aaron, You're for welcome. sitting down, uh, taking time to share your story and, thank
1: you. um,
0: you know, share a little bit more about PRN and what y'all do here for what sure. you do here because um, I've heard of it but I didn't know it was more than just addiction mental health oh, gosh, it's yeah. everything everything um, mm-hmm. so it's a good resource to have um, as Charlotte you. grows where there's going to be more needs for people yeah. um, and this is a great place so thank, thank you. you thanks um, I'm so glad yes. I got to do this me too <laughs> it has it's been a long time out. coming I know so but <laughs> it's been an you. honor to sit down and hear your story yeah. and just learn um, you from too. you so thank you. Okay. Thank y'all for tuning in this week to episode 89 on the Rabbit Hole Show. Um, again, Aaron uh, with us here at PRN. So check out PRN. Um, come if you need some help. If you want to donate, um, I know they could website. use that um, um, that help as a nonprofit here in Charlotte. But check out the website. Um, reach out to me, and I can get you connected with Aaron and the team here. Um, love y'all and stay tuned for next week.